You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. I'm finally back in the podcasting seat. I have been traveling for my summer vacation. Uh, Although I am still working, this is a working vacation. I am also really taking a lot of time to enjoy myself, to bike the San Juan Islands and other amazing places. I'm camping in my camper and just really enjoying myself. So I do let a few things slide while I'm on summer vacation, including weekly podcasts, but I am trying to get you a podcast at least bi-weekly now. The topic of our podcast today is how to deal with spiritual bypass when it comes to narcissistic abuse. As a healer and counselor for people who've gone through the painful experience of narcissistic abuse. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I tend to approach recovery from a spiritual angle and use spiritual ideas, shamanic practices, such as soul retrieval and psychic cord cutting in my work. But the one thing that bothers me more than anything is this spiritual bypass that happens. And spiritual bypass is when someone uses spiritual language or ideals that result in invalidating somebody's experience or reality. It's when spiritual principles are used to avoid dealing with reality. And spiritual bypass is used by both the abused and those who the abused come in contact with. Some of the examples of spiritual bypass are when someone says, you're not a victim of abuse, there are no victims. I'm sure he didn't mean to do those things. He's just wounded. He or she's really a beautiful soul underneath. Cutting off contact is just avoidance. Aren't we all narcissistic? I think the word narcissist is overused by people who are hurt. If you spot it, you got it. Maybe you're the narcissist. I'm sure you'll be able to be friends with this person in time. Maybe you just weren't a good match. How could you cut off contact with a parent or sibling? They're your family. They seem like such a nice person. That person seems to have moved on. Why can't you? That person is dating someone else. You should too. Why can't you just get over it? Now, the people who typically say these kinds of things may be well-meaning, but ignorant. They just don't understand what you're dealing with and also don't understand that they're really invalidating your reality. You may 
have just had your life turned upside down, experienced the worst gaslighting, manipulation, blame, accusations, devaluing, discarding, and other things that have caused you to have post-traumatic stress disorder or trigger a pre-existing complex post-traumatic stress response. Those who say these kinds of things don't only not understand narcissistic abuse, but they don't understand complex PTSD and the need for victims of abuse to protect themselves by removing themselves from the threat. What most people don't understand is there's a real lack of consciousness in a narcissistic individual where they don't feel the effects of the breakup in the same way that the non-narcissistic person does. And I think we all need to become educated in understanding narcissism because You know, there's a global agenda of narcissists going on right now. Narcissists are at the helm of government and politics. They're at the helm of making decisions for our health and well-being. So I think it's in our best interest, all of us, to start to understand. I'm talking about malignant narcissism. I'm not talking about people who are just a little narcissistic. I'm talking about malignant narcissism and sociopathy. This is really major in our world today. We see it on a massive scale, and we also see it in our families and in our relationships. So we need to become more educated, because if we're not educated, we're simply ignorant when it comes to understanding narcissism. Once again, a narcissistic individual don't feel the effects of a breakup in the same way the non-narcissistic person does. Narcissists deny responsibility for their actions and behavior. So they can be really quite terrorizing in that relationship. They can be quite abusive. And then when they have completely devalued that person and moved on to the next, which is what they do, or the person that they're abusing has had enough and said enough, I can't do this anymore, and they move right on to the next relationship, they don't take any responsibility for their creation, for the abuse that they've been inflicting on this other person, they might not even see it as abuse. They deny their own pain. They project it onto those who trigger them and blame that person for everything that goes wrong in the relationship, including the breakup. So not only is the person that is non-narcissistic dealing with the pain of the breakup that is usually quite abrupt It's not like most relationships, there's more of a slow deterioration of the relationship before they make that decision. But um, narcissistic breakups are usually quite abrupt because there's usually some type of episode preceding the breakup that is pretty difficult. Um, There might be a strongly abusive episode. There might be an affair, cheating, or some kind of major betrayal. So the narcissist immediately starts looking for a new relationship. But, you know, that's not very hard for them. 
to do because they've already most likely groomed several new relationship potentials while they were in their relationship with you. So they just kind of make a lateral move over to someone who was in a waiting position, who basically coddles them and supports them and picks up the pieces for them and makes life really easy for them. So they really don't have to reflect because, you know, usually those new groomed sources might be aware of the troubles in their previous relationship, right? They've, they've been talking about you. They've been talking about how, how kind of they're the victim, right? You're doing this to them and you're doing that or you're not doing this or you're not doing that. So you've already, they've already set up that new person to believe that they're being done wrong, and so that person is there to support them and pick up the pieces for them and validate them and say, oh, you know, it wasn't your fault and really letting them off the hook, but also giving them all the accolades and the support and the admiration and the attention and the approval. Where the person that's been with the narcissist, that's been in that relationship is left alone to pick up the pieces pretty much by themselves. And the people in their circle may end up spiritual bypassing and invalidating their experience. Especially since a lot of times that person hasn't really talked about the relationship and the problems in the relationship like that narcissist has to his or her new supply source potentials. So it, it's a completely different situation. The person that is getting out of the relationship with the narcissist is not only dealing with a broken heart, but just PTSD, trauma, just trying to wrap their mind around what happened because it's a very crazy, making confusing dynamic. And they also have to accept that that relationship was, they were kind of insignificant to that narcissist. That narcissist could just replace them quite easily without ever having to do any grieving or downtime. And so they feel a real lack of significance in that person's life. Like they just didn't mean anything. Like they didn't matter. Like that person really wasn't in love with them. They really didn't love them on any kind of deep level. And that's really difficult for somebody to wrap their mind around. That's really challenging. It's not only challenging for the person that's been with the narcissist to wrap their mind around, but it's double challenging for somebody that has been on the outside that just sees things through the rose-colored glasses and see how, how beautiful you might have looked together as a couple and just saw all the good things but never realized what was going on behind closed doors. And so it's more difficult for them to accept what was really going on that you never talked about for many reasons. If it's a family member that you're having a falling out with, they, the narcissist complains to their friends about their ungrateful family member who cut off contact. So there's 
no ability to really self-reflect and see the errors of their own ways. So not only do they behave cruelly and abusively to those closest to them, they blame the other and focus on the other's reactions to the abuse rather than their own abusive behavior. They don't see their own abusive behavior. They have a really big blind spot to their own abusive behavior. They seem to have a missing piece that allows them to avoid seeing or dealing with their own abusive behavior. They can only see the reactions of others as a result of the abuse. And they focus on and target the reactions. A narcissist can push and push and push. And you may cope and deal for a period of time. And then one day you might just lose it. You hit your breaking point. There is a last straw or the straw that breaks the camel's back. And this is what the narcissist will remember and focus on is your last straw. How crazy you were. How you lost your cool. How you became unglued. They don't seem to see the days, weeks, months, and even years of abusive behavior on their part that led you to your breaking point. They only see your breaking point. And this is because the narcissist sees himself or herself as innocent. And for that matter, so do some spiritual schools of thought. You can do anything to anybody and you're still an innocent child of God. There is no right or wrong. The message victims of abuse get from spiritual or so-called enlightened society is that people can do whatever they want to others and never have to be accountable. The victims of abuse who aren't really victims because there are no victims should just deal with it, get over it, move beyond it, rise above it, let it go. Meanwhile, the abusers get a free pass. And they're loved and adored and welcomed and pampered and coddled and accepted back into society. In fact, they're the only ones who can re-enter society because the victims of abuse are typically isolated at home trying to cope with severe PTSD symptoms. Now, I had a friend that says she's removed the word victim from her vocabulary. She's also a therapist. And I'm trying to look at that myself, but... I'm pretty conditioned through my work to see victims of abuse as victims of abuse. So just one thing I have to say on that that I think is important, and I've done whole shows on this, is that often we see the word victim as somebody who is powerless. And when you don't see your choices, you're, you're just a victim. We're not really victims when we are empowered with choice. And so you might have been abused, but when you're empowered with choice by just making a decision to get out of an abusive dynamic, you're, you're not a victim because you're getting out. But just because you talk about that abuse and share your pain and share how it has affected you, that doesn't mean that you're being a victim. It means that you're processing your trauma, your pain. And so we have to be able to differentiate. 
and understand that you may be empowering yourself with, with choice. You may have made the choice to get out of an abusive situation and heal. And that's an amazing choice to make. But you still have to heal. You can't do what the narcissist does. And that's what people don't realize is that these relationships are so traumatic for anyone that's in them. I don't care how intelligent, enlightened, healthy we are. These are traumatic relationships because of the degree of gaslighting, devaluing, crazy making behavior that really takes that person off balance that's in that relationship. It really pulls the rug out from under their feet. And there is a recovery process. And a lot of people who are kind of watching this dynamic from the outside don't fully understand that. They just see that that narcissist, you know, he's just going on like nothing ever happened. He picks up a new relationship and is all happy in the new relationship and wonders why why you can't just get over it and let them back into your social circle or why why you can't just still be friends. You know, you're you're the difficult one that just can't continue being friends after everything they did to you because they deny that they did anything. They're not taking any responsibility. And so people who are kind of watching this dynamic from the outside don't understand. They don't see it. And this makes spiritual people really ripe for that bypass. On a metaphysical note, we all choose our own reality. And we chose this. So we should accept responsibility for what we've chosen. After all, once we die and go to the afterlife, there's going to be a big party and we'll run into the people who hurt us and we'll realize that we've had a soul contract that they would hurt us in this lifetime so we could learn from the experience of having our lives torn apart by a heartless, uncaring, unfeeling narcissist. Okay. Maybe when we're not suffering from abuse and PTSD and in a good loving space and we've had a degree of healing, we may be able to see some beauty in these kind of statements. But for a person coming out of a narcissistically abusive situation, these kind of comments are just damaging. Not only are these kind of statements damaging, they're guilt provoking. Most people who get involved with narcissists are sensitive, empathic people who already feel enough guilt. They already take on too much of the responsibility for what's going on in that relationship. They've already been told by the narcissist that they were the guilty party all along. They've questioned and doubted themselves for a long time. There's a part of them that believes that this is somehow their fault and our society's responses to the abuse just make the guilt so much worse. These people that have been abused begin to feel that they shouldn't feel the way that they do. They should have more compassion for the narcissist as if they hadn't had so much compassion all along. That's what kept them in the relationship. They wonder if they shouldn't let them off the hook. They should forgive them. 
They should accept that the narcissist moved on to someone who's better for them. They should even perhaps accept that they themselves are the crazy one. After all, they're the ones left feeling crazy. And these kinds of thoughts and feelings cause someone who's been abused to isolate even further, afraid to share their reality with anyone for fear of further invalidation. Now, I've gone through narcissistic abuse more times than I care to talk about, and still the reactions and responses of well-meaning spiritual seekers never change. There is a real blame the victim mentality, except that in metaphysical spirituality, there are no real victims. In fact, one time somebody told me that the person who hurt me is innocent, just an innocent child of God. And this comes from the Course in Miracles study where we're all innocent. There's no victims, no perpetrators. There's only fear and only love. And although I love many of the studies from The Course in Miracles, it's often not only misunderstood, but misapplied. We can't live in a human world when we continue to deny the human experience. We may be spiritual beings having a human experience, but it's still a human experience. We still experience the pain, fear, cruelty, and abuse of this world. And we need to find healthy ways to work through our fear and pain that don't include denial, bypassing our emotions, and pretending to feel something and be something that we're not. We may be told that when somebody dies, they go to a better place, or they're now at peace, or their troubles are now over. But it doesn't make the pain of losing someone we love go away, right? We still have to grieve the loss of that person. Ironically, most people offer a whole lot more support to someone who's lost a person to death than they do to someone who's gone through other forms of loss and betrayal. We may hear things like all betrayal is self-betrayal. You might have even heard that from me because I do talk about self-betrayal. And self-betrayal may be a part of a particular situation. It doesn't take away the pain we feel when somebody we love betrays our trust. Maybe we betray ourselves by trusting that person in the first place, especially if they'd already proven themselves to be untrustworthy and we gave them a second chance. But being the kind, loving, and forgiving person our spiritual principles tell us we should be may lead us into giving those second, third, and fourth chances. We have to learn the hard way that some people just can't be trusted. I feel it's very important that we all learn to be self-responsible, but the problem I come across with all the empathic people I work with is that they're too self-responsible. They're too self-reflective. They're too forgiving. They give too many chances. They continue to love when they should walk away. They believe too much in the goodness of people to the extent that they don't want to see the darkness in someone they love until it slaps them so hard in the face that they can't deny it any longer. 
So you can only imagine what it's like when a person finally does wake up to the truth that someone they love deeply is harmful and toxic to them. It's not an easy thing. It's hard to get to that point where where that sensitive, empathic person finally realizes that they're in a severely toxic relationship. And ironically, as they're working hard to face this reality, well-meaning spiritual seekers in their social circle may tell them all the things they'd been telling themselves for years. Well, he really isn't so bad. He's just wounded. He didn't really mean it. Just forgive. Let it go. Give him another chance, etc., etc., etc. Yes, we want to believe in the goodness of people, especially people on a spiritual path that are empathetic and sensitive and loving and kind-hearted. Want to believe in the goodness of people, but not all people are good. And this is a fact. I don't care how you spiritualize it. Not all people are good. There's a lot of people in the world who do hurtful things to others and don't realize that they're being hurtful or have the belief that the person somehow has it coming to them. But the truth is that often deeply wounded people do inflict a lot of pain on other people. So sure, yeah, they're wounded. Yeah, they had an abusive childhood. And yes, they're super nice on the outside, but underneath their facade of niceness, they're really toxic and abusive to specific targets. And I don't care how wounded that person has been in their childhood. That is never an excuse. It's never permissible to inflict that abuse on others. Now, serial killers target certain people. They don't kill everyone. They have a type. They profile people and select those who fit the profile to be their next victim. So not everyone is a victim of that serial killer. When I lived in South Hill, Spokane in the early 80s, there was a man named Kevin Coe who was the South Hill rapist. And his rapes were getting more and more brutal to where it wouldn't have been surprising if he began killing his victims. But his victims all fit the same profile, which was the same profile as his mother. They were short, shorter women with auburn hair. So does that mean if a woman who lived in the Spokane area who was shorter with auburn hair was doing something wrong? Was she signing up for this? Or was she she's simply a target because of Kevin Coe's twisted, toxic relationship with his mother? Those who are targeted are innocent. There are studies done that when a woman lacks confidence, she doesn't walk with her head high and her shoulders back with an air of strength and confidence, that she's much more likely to be a rape target. Because rapists don't want someone who's going to fight back. They want the easy target. Well, maybe narcissists are the same way. They profile and target people, but their targets are not necessarily people who lack confidence in themselves. They're more typically people who are kind-hearted, caring, empathetic, sensitive, loving, and nurturing. It helps that 
person is also physically attractive, financially stable, and impressive in some way. Does this mean people with these qualities should work to eradicate these qualities? No, of course not. However, those of us who fit that profile do need to learn about why we are a target and be very mindful and careful when someone comes towards us. It's not about being suspicious. It's more about being cautious and discerning. We may have been a victim of a crime or a narcissistic person, but this doesn't mean we are by nature victims. We've been victimized. We've been perpetrated upon. And we will eventually heal and rise up. But there's a recovery period necessary. And this is what so many spiritual bypassers don't fully understand. The target of abuse has really been abused and really does need a safe environment to recover. They also need a lot of love and support, which is so often lacking because society is busy loving and supporting the narcissist who openly acts as if he or she is the one that's been victimized. Our society, especially spiritual society, needs more education on this manner because there's far too much victim blaming and shaming going on and far too much coddling of the abusers of society, especially by codependent women who rush to the aid of the poor narcissist who has a very convincing sob story. Now, we could look at it differently. I talked in my last episode about how the narcissist always seems to win. We could look at it like we're willingly getting into the ring with a prize fighter thinking we have a chance, but then we get demolished. We make a conscious choice to get into that ring. Are we a victim? No. We made that choice. And I think this is how a relationship is often looked at. We all make the choice to enter the ring with our chosen partner, but we don't enter the ring knowing consciously that he or she is a prized fighter who's never lost a match. We enter the ring believing we're on equal footing. We also enter the ring not to fight, but to have a loving companion. We are ill-prepared for the fight. We don't see it coming. We don't enter the ring to compete with our partners. We enter the relationship because we believe in love. And maybe our mistake is that we believe most people are capable of love or we still believe in love to heal. And we learn that when someone acts loving, they must be loving. How could it be otherwise? We simply are not prepared for what reveals itself in such a relationship. It's shocking, to say the least. Those who get involved with narcissists have their own ways of spiritual bypassing. This is when we ourselves project our own good, loving qualities upon the narcissist. Even after they show us who they are, we refuse to see it or believe it. We go into denial. We develop beliefs that love is enough or love heals all wounds. We develop a belief that this is a special relationship and it's destined to be lifelong. We develop a belief that we are truly loved in spite of all the unloving behavior we've experienced in the relationship. We may even project a soulmate or twin flame fantasy onto the relationship partner. 
We may give second, third, fourth, and fifth chances because we refuse to accept the truth. In cases like this, we really are betraying ourselves because we refuse to accept the truth that we are being shown. And whose fault is that? It's our own. Another thing many of us do is we don't talk about the abuse and what we're experiencing while we are in the relationship because we don't want people in our social circle to know about the problems we're having in our relationship. We want our partners to be loved, accepted, and adored by our friends. So it's a shock to our friends when we finally come out with the truth. And it may seem like a sudden change in our social circle, but really we're just suddenly telling the truth about what we've been going through. As codependents, we may also enable our partners and make excuses for them when we're together. I was with someone who often embarrassed me by his behavior in public, and I found myself wanting to make excuses for him. But after the relationship was over, I was grateful I didn't have to do that anymore. I figured he could go out and be an an embarrassment to himself and others, and someone else could enable that behavior, but not me. The way I approach healing in a society that has so much spiritual bypass is to only surround yourself with people who truly support you and avoid those who don't. And it may feel that you're reducing your social circle down to only a few people, if even that, but this is necessary for the time being. People who invalidate your reality are a hindrance to your recovery right now. Because you've been invalidated enough, your reality's been invalidated as part of that narcissistic abuse. So you can bring these people who are well-meaning but damaging to your recovery. You can bring them back in later if you choose. But while you're healing, you need to surround yourself with people who really understand the damage that's been done and are willing and able to truly support you. And in the future, you can be one of those people who support someone else that has come out of a narcissistically abusive situation or who's needing to leave a narcissistically abusive situation. Because you're truly going to understand it. People who understand the effects of narcissistic abuse are needed in the world. We need to be willing to come out and speak out when necessary. It doesn't mean you have to be a coach or a counselor, but you do need to be a friend, a supporter, and someone who can validate the reality of one who's been so long invalidated by a narcissistic partner, family, or work situation. We may have been victimized by a narcissist, but we don't remain victims. We use our experiences to understand ourselves and narcissistic abuse on a much deeper level. We learn to rise up from the shadows and become better, stronger, more aware, and spiritually balanced as a result of the healing required to get beyond narcissistic abuse. In your journey of recovery from narcissistic abuse, be careful not to spiritually bypass your own experience. Embrace all of your feelings, except where you are in your process. 
Create an environment that supports your healing and well-being and stay away from all abusers and enablers of the abuse. Talk about your abuse only to those who can truly understand and support you. Don't waste your time and energy trying to convince those bypassers of your reality. Convince yourself. This is where you need to start, is validate yourself and your own reality. You know you didn't ask for this. You didn't see this coming. You didn't know it would feel so horrible. You didn't know it would be so destructive. You didn't realize it would be such a long journey to recover. But this is reality and you need to accept it. You will recover. You will rise up. Trust the process. Get the help and support you need. And one day you'll be looking back on all this grateful for the strength that you've gained through the process of learning to really love and validate yourself. I want to thank you for listening. And if you would like more information on my work with narcissistic abuse, please visit my website, NarcissismFree.com, where I offer counseling, hypnotherapy, coaching, a lot of hypnosis audio downloads, and books on recovery from narcissism, as well as a ton of articles. So I invite you to come by and visit. And I will see you in the next podcast. Have a great day.